Praise the Lord. Well, before I get into my message, I just want to testify this morning. Um, Over the past couple of weeks, some of you would know I've been preparing a Bible study about baptism for one of the gentlemen at work and prepared it and, you know, I spent all this time on it and he just wouldn't book a time and then he'd cancel the time and, re, you know, change the time and I was getting frustrated and uh, about a week or so ago, I was having a meeting at work and two of the board members um, that I work with came to me and they were asking questions about baptism in Jesus' name and um, they wanted me to send me send them my Bible study on baptism and I just want to thank God that, you know, sometimes we think it's meant to be a certain way. I prepared it for this guy, but it was prepared for these two people. And, you know, whether or not these, this other guy ever, we ever have a, a Bible study, who knows? But um, these two people are very high up in our organization, and yet I was still able to, to talk to them um, about God and send them this, this Bible study. And after I sent it to them, I thought, you know, who knows if I'll get anything back. You know, they asked for it. I didn't say, hey, I'll send you my Bible study. They asked for it. And um, I was praying the other week about it. And I was like, God, just draw them, draw their spirit, draw them and, and get them to start questioning what they believe. What, you know, is this really real? And the other day I had a, a, an email come back from one of them asking another question. And so I just want to thank God, you know, that it's never the way we want it. It's always the way God wants it. And I'm just praying that something comes out of this. I don't know if something will, but I'm trusting that the Lord knows. And I've been praying for these people and they need it. They need God. They need revelation of Jesus Christ. So that was just for free. So <laughs> if we'd all turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. No, it's not Matthew chapter 1. It's Matthew chapter 15. I'm going to start at verse 1. It is a long reading, but bear with me. Matthew 15 and verse 1. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, And he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift by by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and and honour not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoureth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me but in vain they do worship me teaching for doctrines the commandments of men and he called the multitude and said unto them hear and understand not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man but that which cometh out of the mouth this defileth a man then came his disciples and said unto him knowest thou that the pharisees were offended after they heard this saying i think that was a regular occurrence But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Then answered Peter and said unto him, 
Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out in the draught? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemy. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. And I feel that over the past couple of weeks or months, there's been a bit of a theme about the heart, the state of our heart. Our pastor spoke not that long ago from the title, The Heart of the Matter. He spoke about how the Word of God can pierce straight into the issues of our hearts and discern where we need to change. And so I'm going to continue in the same vein this morning. The title of my message is, My Cup, My Hands, My Heart. And we'll just pray. Lord Jesus, mighty God, I thank you, Lord God, for the privilege and honor it is to come into your presence. Lord God, and that you would meet with us, Jesus, this morning. Lord, what a privilege it is to open up your word and have you speak directly to each and every one of us. And this morning I pray that you would anoint my lips, anoint this vessel, Lord God, that it may be a vessel of honor. That Jesus, oh Lord, as your word goes forth, we would be changed, oh Lord God, from glory to glory, that we would be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. We all have a father. None of us can say we don't have a dad. At some point, well, at the beginning, we had a dad. It's impossible, impossible to be alive and not have a father. Some of us are close to our fathers. Some of us are not. Some of us look like our dads, and some of us don't resemble them at all. And anyone who knows me for even just a short while will be able to pick my dad out from a crowd constantly throughout my entire life. Oh, you must be Alan Frost's daughter. You are just like your dad. And for the most part, I'm okay with that. Because I know that it isn't that I have a receding hairline like he does or any of the other features that makes up the, the looks of my father on the outside. But it's what's on the inside that makes me like my dad. It's my character and my personality. And when you live with someone for so long, you start to take on their attributes. And even now, even though I don't live at home, there'll be things I do at home. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm turning into my dad. I turn the PowerPoints off, but every, every time I finish using them, I'm like, oh, that's the electricity bill right there. Um, but if we turn to John chapter 14 and verse 7, Jesus was sharing with the disciples that he was going to go away. And Thomas asks, how, how can we know where to go if you don't tell us where you're going? How, how do we get there? Who do we follow? And John chapter 14 and verse 7 says, If you had known me, you should have known my father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Jesus wasn't saying that he had the same hair or the same nose as his dad. It wasn't that he had the same outward appearance because the Father, God is a spirit. We can't see God. He doesn't have arms and legs like we do. But what Jesus was saying is, Peter, if you truly knew me, if you really understood who I am on the inside, not this face and this flesh that you see, 
that you would understand that I am the Father, I am God, and this flesh is just a veil of what is on the inside. Colossians 2 tells us that in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus embodies the fullness of God, who God really was and is. It was the character of the heavenly and the divine that Jesus was on the inside. And Romans chapter 8 verse 15 and 16 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This verse tells us that by the spirit of God, we have become the children of God. First John chapter 3 verse 1 and 2 tells us of the beautiful and amazing love that God has bestowed upon us that we now have the opportunity to become his children. And so just as I have a very real earthly father, I also have a very real spiritual heavenly father. I can't see him like I can see my earthly dad, but I can feel him and I know who he is and I know what he's like through experience, through relationship with him, through his word and through his spirit. And just like when I hang out with my earthly dad for a long period of time and I become like him, so it should be with our heavenly father. When we spend time with him, we should become like him. It isn't that we start floating around and levitating like a spirit of some sort or look like him on the outside, but it's what's happening on the inside. My dad and I don't really look alike that much, but it is what I stand for, what I believe in, what I value in my life on the inside that makes me like my dad. My heavenly father and I don't look like each other either on the outside, but it's what I stand for what I believe, what I value in my life that makes me either like him or not like him. In our opening text, the Lord had a conversation with the Pharisees regarding their tradition and complete misunderstanding and misconceived ideas about the law. And it says, The law says for you to honor your mother and father, and yet you say that as long as what should be for your family, what this portion of money or whatever it is that should be for your family, if you just say, oh, well, I'm dedicating that to God and give it to him, that you're okay not to fulfill that law. You're okay not to honor your, your parents. You're free from fulfilling that. But Jesus says, this is not the case. Your own desires and traditions have muddied the waters and you have disobeyed the commandments to honor your parents. In times past and even still today in some areas, you may read of the incredible importance that, uh, that Japanese people place on family honor. It's a lot of Asian countries that place a lot of importance on it. And uh, the reputation that a family has in a society has a, is a direct correlation to the way the members of the family act and deal with life. To dishonor your family was a terrible, terrible thing. It may be to refru- refuse to marry a person that you were arranged to marry, or it may be that you were defeated against someone in a battle, uh, maybe that you changed from one religion to another. And nowadays in our country, you know, we don't hear much about arranged marriages or a physical to the death battle. Um, But there are still ways that we can dishonor our families. And I've heard many times of people who've been converted from Islam to Christianity and the member of that family has disgraced and dishonored their family. And I'm sure my dad would be disappointed and probably has been or at some point will be with the choices that I have made at times. And just like we can dishonor our earthly families at times with the things we do and say, so it is with our Heavenly Father. We can either be vessels of honor or vessels of dishonor. 
Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 and 21 says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honour and some to dishonour. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honour, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. In this house today, there can be vessels of honour, and there can be vessels of dishonour. But the great thing is that we can choose to be vessels of honour. We don't have to be vessels that bring dishonour to our Heavenly Father. We go back to Matthew chapter 15. The scribes and the Pharisees have come to Jesus and are disgusted that the disciples of Jesus would dare to eat their food without washing their hands. And I don't particularly want to eat with my hands dirty, but they, were just, they, they said this was a sin. They're unhappy. They've disobeyed the traditions of our elders. They think that not washing their hands makes them vessels of dishonor. And so they asked Jesus, why do they do this? Don't you see? They're sinning. They're being disobedient. And the Lord's response to them, as he so often did with another question, why do you disobey the commandment of God with your tradition? And then he quotes in Isaiah Verse, uh, he quotes Isaiah in verse 7 and 8 by saying, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoureth me, or with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And he then goes on to say, Don't you understand? It isn't what is on the outside that defiles or dishonours. You think that a bit of sand, dirt, or grease on your hands is going to bring dishonour? That's not what's going to bring impurity into your life. And I sometimes wonder how the disciples didn't understand when the Lord spoke, and yet time and time again they asked, Lord, can you explain that to us? And Peter asked, God, what do you mean by this? And Jesus says, are you also without, yet without understanding? In one translation it says, are you still so dull? And I wonder how often the Lord goes, are you still so dull? Can't you see what I'm trying to tell you? And so the Lord explains, understand today what is in the heart of man. Out of this heart, the inward man, comes evil thoughts. That's kind of confronting, very confronting. Murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These things are in all of us. They come out of our heart and that's why Proverbs speaks of guarding our hearts because out of it flows the issues of life. One translation says, for it is the heart that determines the course of your life. And sometimes we we read the news or we see an article and we look at these horrific things that people have committed and we sometimes think, how could they do that? How can someone be so evil and so past reason that they would do something so bad and illogical? And yet each of us, Each of us has that potential to do any of those things. And I'm not saying that we're all going to go out and murder and steal and kill and destroy. But it's inside of us that defiles. We all have the potential for hate, envy, evil thoughts, idolatry. And that is why it's so, so important to deal with the root issue. That is the heart of the matter, the heart. It's such an incredible, incredible thing that God has given us. And we feel such wonderful things with our heart. But there are some things that can also rise up in us that we didn't realize were there. And we wonder, 
where did that come from? When I'm on the road and someone cuts me off or something and I'm like, this thing that just rears up inside of me and I'm like, that's not me. I'm glad no one else was sitting in the car with me. They come from inside, not from the outside. We dishonor our Heavenly Father with the things on the inside. And if we don't deal with them, they will destroy us. The Pharisees were a part of the people that God had chosen. The Lord chose the Jews as his people, his family, and the ones that he could bless and increase the borders of. All he wanted was to commune with them and connect with them, to have relationship with them. It was the Pharisees that God wanted to do great things through, and yet they didn't see it. Isaiah 53 and 4 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Jesus came into this earth in such an insignificant way, with such humility from no fancy special lineage and went through such horrific things. And what Isaiah is saying here is that the Jews took it, that this was God punishing him. This wasn't God. Jesus wasn't God. He was just a man and he must have been such a bad sinner that God is punishing him for those terrible acts. But verse 5 of the same chapter straight after says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The Pharisees thought him only a man and not God because God couldn't possibly come like that. This man must be a terrible, terrible sinner. And yet God is crying out, no, the reason I'm going through this is because of your sin. I'm doing this to take away your sin, to give you an opportunity at a better life. But they never saw it. And even to this day, they still don't believe that the Lord has come back yet. Jesus was just a good man. If we turn to Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Matthew chapter 23, starting at verse 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup, and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead man's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And we read these verses and we think, well, that's a bit harsh. But if there's one thing that God does not like, it's hypocrisy. Your cup looks shiny and clean on the outside. You do all the right things. You shout praise and prayer on the corner of the street and you think no one can see that inside your cup is filled with dirt and sin and extortion and excess. Just like Matthew 15 where he says, why are you worried about washing your hands? It isn't what's on the outside that is going to make you clean or dirty but what is on the inside. If we think about a cemetery or a graveyard, 
You can walk around and see pretty flowers everywhere with marble white tombstones with not a patch of dirt on them. But if you think about it, just six feet under is a pile of rotting flesh, dry bones. Looks all nice and clean on the outside, and yet inside is filth and the smell of death. And when the Lord used that example, he knew exactly what he was doing. It's the truth. It is the truth. You see, Jesus didn't hate the Pharisees. He loved them. He loved them so much, just like he loves you and me, just like he died for you and me. He loved the Pharisees. And it wasn't that they had sin in their lives. It wasn't that they had weaknesses, but it was that they pretended that their weaknesses, that the sin wasn't there. They walked around with their hands lifted high. They danced the wildest dance. They prayed loud prayers. They fasted lots. They gave lots of money. And yet within they were filthy. And our pastor spoke not long ago about our weaknesses. And we don't like to admit we are weak. We are told, be strong, be strong, be strong. We, I've got this. Sister Cassandra preached this a little while ago. I've got this. We don't like to admit that we fail and that we fall at times. And instead we hide. We hide. But if we do this, we'll end up like the Pharisees. We'll end up with God saying, you hypocrite. The outside of your cup looks so Pentecostal, looks so Christian. And yet the inside is stained with sin and shame. God just wants us to be open and honest with him. You may have heard sometimes that people who express their emotions freely and openly, they wear their heart on their sleeve. And this is what the Lord wants us to do. He doesn't want us to bear everything to everyone, not at all. But he wants us to be free with him, that we can bear all before him. God can only do a work when we allow him to see the true you and me. The funny thing is that he already sees the real me and you. It's really more about allowing ourselves to see what is inside, to bring it to the surface before him and to be honest with God and ourselves. And believe this today. Contrary to what you may hear in your own mind, contrary to what the devil whispers in your ear, Jesus Christ will never, ever, ever turn away a willing vessel. Even if that vessel is unclean, even if that vessel has filth and dirt, he will take anyone, anyone at all, that wants to come before him, and he will cleanse the vessel. He can make what was a vessel of dishonor into a beautiful vessel of honor. He can cleanse that which was dirty. His blood is not just applied at baptism, but throughout our entire walk with God. Every time we fail, the blood can be applied. Every time I fall, the blood is applied over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. We sing that song, the blood will never, ever lose its power. It reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest point in your life. It flows and it is applied. 1 Corinthians 3 and 21 speaks of the fact that no man should glory in man. Don't glory in the flesh. The Pharisees gloried in men, in themselves, forgetting that they were the temple of the Holy Ghost. They were not their own. And they forgot that the God who had miraculously delivered their forefathers from the Egyptians and supplied food and water in the middle of a desert could also see right into the depths of their hearts. 
And we've heard over and over and time and time again, don't live after the flesh. Don't try to find your strength in this flesh. It will fail you. It will fail you. It will fail me. And it is only in God's strength that our weaknesses can be overcome. And we can listen to a message like this and think, man, how on earth? How on earth can I ever be cleansed? It's heavy. But every, every time I read that verse, this people draweth nigh unto me their mouth, with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I feel a desire to change. I don't want to just honor God with my lips. I don't want to just look good. I want to be good. I want to be good on the inside. As I was researching this idea of family honor in Japan, I stumbled across an article that shared uh, what happens when someone would dishonor their family. And the person that dishonors their family would take it upon themselves to take their own life, to kill themselves. And where we see death as a horrible end to life, carrying a negative connotation, especially suicide, the Japanese culture saw it as a means of atonement for disgrace and defeat. It was through death that their family's honor could be reinstated. Dishonor was seen as a stain that could only be cleansed by death. Very much like the death that the Lamb of God took upon himself so that there would be a way for the stain of sin to be cleansed from my life and from your life. What an incredible sacrifice. God knew what it brought, that it was only through death that the stain could be taken from us, that we could again become vessels of honor. We read before that in a great house, much like this room today, there are all types of vessels. Vessels of honor, vessels of dishonor, vessels of gold, wood, earth, and silver. And that the awesome thing is that in the next verse we read that if we therefore purge ourselves from these, then we shall be vessels of honor, fit for the master's use. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Mortify, to crush, get rid of, put under, submit them to the Spirit, and you will have life. Today, I don't want anyone to leave through those doors feeling condemned. That's not why I brought this message. I don't want people to feel as though all they were given was the bad news. Because the wonderful thing is that with God, there is always, always good news. Always good news. We never have to leave this place. We never have to go out from the presence of God feeling condemned and afraid or unworthy, but we can leave victoriously. So if you hear and remember anything I say this morning, I want you to remember this. There is hope. You don't have to leave like a Pharisee. Many of us know the story of the prodigal son. Many of us know that he took his share of the inheritance before it was due used it up and dragged his family name through mud, dishonored his family and ended up in a pig pen, starving. And you know, this young man could have gone on starving. He could have gone sitting there in this filth and muck and yet the word of God says he came to himself. And I believe that young man standing knee deep in pig muck, near fainting, smelling from not showering for weeks, left with nothing, had a revelation like Sister Katerina preached a few weeks ago, an aha moment. He realized not just that the servants back at his dad's house were treated better, but that he was a dirty sinner, no more worthy, in desperate, desperate need of help, in desperate need of a cleansing, a long, hot shower, as it were to take away the dirt 
of the lifestyle he had been living. And we know that he went back to his father feeling unworthy and the father welcomed him back into the family just like that. There were probably consequences to the son's decision. Who knows if there was any money left for him when his father died because he'd used up his inheritance. But the father took him in and cared for him. I can just imagine the son coming down that road with his clothes ragged and worn, probably no shoes, could smell him a mile away, dirty. But he didn't try to hide it from his dad. He couldn't. He had no money to buy new clothes. He had no money to go find somewhere to wash. But this is me, Dad, smelly, broken, messed up. And I really, really, really need you. And that's all that God wants from us this morning is honesty, just honesty. If I can have a musician, please. I'd like to uh, draw your attention to the account directly after the conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees. Same chapter, Matthew 15. The account is the story of a Canaanite woman, not a Pharisee, not a Jew. She wasn't chosen. And as Jesus leaves the Pharisees and comes to another place, this woman comes to him. And an evil spirit is troubling her daughter, and she has heard that Jesus can help. So she goes to him and asks, please heal my daughter. And we pick up in Matthew 15, verse 23. It says, but he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus made a point of not even speaking or acknowledging her. Sorry, lady, you aren't the people I've come for. I've come to help the Jews. I've come to do a work in them. And yet she persisted. Verse 25 says, Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. This woman didn't know much about Jesus, probably didn't know much about the Jewish religion and what it was all about, but she knew one thing without a doubt. She knew who she was. Yes, Lord, I'm a dog. I'm not one of your people. I've done bad things. I'm not meant to be in your family. But I need you today. I need you, God, if we just stand. And Jesus responds to her. He doesn't turn her away. And he says, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. And this morning, if we turn to God and we admit that we're sinners, that we need help. God can give us the miracle that we need. He can cleanse. There's still power in the blood. He can deliver us. He can bring peace into our lives. If we would just be open and honest with him, if we'll allow him to do a work in our hearts. You know, one thing I was thinking about, you know, the Pharisees, never saw revival I never read that they had a great following but Jesus had followers Jesus had a multitude of people that would throng him would come for him because he was God he showed the character of his father and you know we've been praying a lot lately for revival for souls 
it's up on that board every time we pray and we can hand out i've got pamphlets this morning for the conference you know we can hand out as many pamphlets as we want but if we don't deal with our hearts it comes to naught because people can see through that they can see through the talk i know it's cliche to say but we've got to walk what we talk we've got to be what we believe does this world see the character of our father in us do they see it or is it dirty so this morning i want to ask the question what is the state of your heart today are your hands cleaner than your heart is your cup shiny on the outside with all the jewels glistening and yet inside dirty so this morning i want to open these altars if you want to come god won't turn you away he won't turn you away i know because time and time and time again i have to go to him and he's there every time it doesn't matter how many times i push him away i turn back to him he's there he's right there he's right there this morning we sung that is all that we need and i was thinking so often when we say god is our help our ever-present time ever-present help in time of need sometimes we think that you know he'll provide he'll be this the the strong tower and everything and we think that that's when there's a storm around us but sometimes we create the storm for ourselves we create the problem and you know what god is still there god is still what we need still what we need every single time even when the trouble is caused by our own actions by our own heart he is here and so this morning these altars are open god is here if you would know one thing this morning god is here